The following is a pre-recorded program. 906 at News Radio 680 WPTF. Tom Carney here. It's every night, Monday through Friday, from 9 until 10. We try to bring you programs that are uh, edifying and entertaining, and tonight's will be both. Uh, two of my my friends are with us tonight. I hope they don't be mind, mind being called that. If they do, if they'll raise their hands, I won't mention their names, and they won't have to own up for the responsibility. Uh, one of them, uh, they're Mr. and Mrs. Beck. Uh, his name is Mike, and he he keeps an eye on us. And her name is Pam, and she has been a frequent uh, guest here and indeed on other programs on WPTF. Have you been on the Saturday morning program lately? I have. I had the pleasure of being on um, about once a month for the past uh, few months, and I will be on not this coming Saturday, but the the last Saturday of April I'll be on the Weekend Gardener again. Well, I think that in in, in terms of my knowing you, that is that is uh, uh, good because I met you and Miss Ann at the same time, exactly under the same circumstances. But Pam Beck is a a uh, gardening journalist, and I've had some interesting conversations with her. And some years ago, it, I think it's at least at least fifteen, we started asking her. We may have missed one here or there uh, to come. Uh, several times a year and talk about the history of plants associated with certain seasons, like for Valentine's Day or for Christmas, and in this case, the Easter season. And she knows about uh, uh, Jewish traditions, so she will know about Passover. She was telling me that, about it being a—and you will probably hear this again, and we, we've talked about the Christian church and, and, and indeed, religion in general and the different plants— and I'm going to try to get out of the way here in a minute because she's here with us tonight. What I didn't tell her is we recorded the last four or five years' programs, and we could have played them. But then again, you and Mike wouldn't have come tonight. And so, and it's I, always a treat to be here. Thank it you. Is a tre- right, it you. is a treat, right. It is a treat to be here. And I, I look forward to, to your coming. Uh, Easter, as you and I were saying, is later this year than it is most times. In fact, we computed, I think, it's just about as late as it can be given the formula by which it's some, somewhere back in the past the dark ages, some church conference uh, uh, computed when it should be and decided, uh, you know, so, but it, but it moves around, but it's connected to the movement of the, of the moon and uh, and, the, and the sun. And the sun. Uh, yeah, yep. because it's um, after the spring equinox and it's the first full moon after that. So um, it's the Sunday after that full moon. And uh, we can't see it tonight because it's awfully hazy out there, but it is as round as uh, it can be. It's just going to be a beautiful moon. We may not um, see it much because of the rain that's coming in on Friday, but it is um, it is that time of year that it all comes together. And it's not only Easter that we're celebrating, but also Passover starts this Friday as well. And I can't believe there would be people, but, you know, you never know what people know about religious traditions, but the, what are the words that I wanted to utter? And they are connected, of course. They are connected. <laughs> and that's what's so beautiful about this when the um, when they coincide uh, both for the um, the Hebrew calendar as well as the um, the modern calendars. When we think about Jesus uh, meeting with his disciples and having that meal, which we call the Last Supper in the Christian church, that was a Passover meal. And what is so beautiful about that is that um, that 
you know, the many foods, many plants that are associated with Holy Week are dear to both traditions. And so um, it's, it's nice to be able to, to think about both of these at the same time. I remember seeing a lecture, I think it was by a Catholic priest, but he had he was a student of, of religion, and he had written a book about Jesus in the New Testament. And he said, what you must remember is that Jesus, when you get to the bottom, always remember that he was a Jew. He was and a Jew. And that's mm-hmm. what brought him mm-hmm. to Jerusalem at this particular time of year. And I was, you had to tell me that the name uh the, the last Sunday was Palm, it was palm, palm Fronds, yeah. I think is mm-hmm. what they, but mm-hmm. the, you, I think, said one time on this program, but it wasn't necessarily just that, but it might have been other things, too. Well, other it's greenery. interesting. Um, the, yeah, if we talk about Holy Week, we really should start with Palm Sunday, which was last Sunday. And Palm Sunday traditionally is thought to be the um, the day that the crowd came to see Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem. And in the Bible, it uh, the New Testament it says that um, the the people took brush that was nearby and put it across the road and also put their cloaks down for the donkey that was carrying Jesus to to trot upon to greet him as a as a savior to greet him as um, you know the uh, king and so they were paying homage to him and um, the church has taken the view that of using palms to signify that that was something that would have been cut and put down. Now, that makes a lot of sense because date palms are very important to um, the Holy Land because they are a very important food crop, but also they were used to weaving and other things like that too. But what's nice is in the church still, the ashes that are put on your head for Ash Wednesday at the beginning of Lent are taken from the palm fronds from the year before from Palm Sunday, and those are, are then burned, and it's those are the ashes that are put on a cross on your head for Lent in some religious traditions. Uh, primarily Catholic is the one that, that comes to mind, but there are some other Christian churches that do that as well. You were talking uh, about the donkey coming in and Jesus coming riding in, and you used several words, and I— I'm really asking this, but do we dare use the word Messiah here? Well, that's the thing is they were calling for him to be a Messiah. And um, this is part of the, I think, frustration that later on uh, Judas and and some of the other disciples started questioning because Jesus on Maundy Thursday, and, and let me give you the origin of that word, Maundy comes from... Um, our Latin base for the word mandate or commandment. And so Maundy Thursday, when he held this meal with his disciples and washed their feet and and they enjoyed the food, they broke the bread and um, they had the wine, Jesus said to them, this is my new commandment that I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you. And that is the, the origin for mandate. I think when he said that this is the new commandment, this is what he's here for, this is this is his mission, that perhaps is what led to some of the, the um, frustration, the disappointment that led to his arrest and um, capture later. Okay. Her name is Pam Beck, uh, P-A-M-B-E-C-K, Pam Beck Gardens. Gardens, G-A-R-D-E-N-S, yes. Dot com. Yes, sir. 
and uh, and I offer that to you in lieu of a, a long-winded explanation because you will find out what you need to know. And you do, among other things, you, you write for, for journals and your articles are, are published, but you give talks and give lectures and yes, are a well-known figure. And if you're, you're well, I'm doing this for you, but if I go wrong, tell me. <laughs> but if your garden club is interested or whatever— uh, Yes, please contact me. I'd be happy to talk to you about All right. Pam, speaking to you. Pam group. Beck Gardens, and it has an S on yes, it, sir. .com. Yes, sir. And uh, she is instructing us with regard to the plants and uh, flowers and things of, uh, of the season, uh, the Easter season. Uh, and I, I will just say the season because it also includes, what is it, Passover? Passover. Right, mm-hmm. and so on. And we're going to stop for a moment, uh, and then we'll come back and we will continue the story. It is the season. Uh, I've got... John, did, did you have a, a spot on your head today? Not... John, John is a... It's... Uh, what is it? No, 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 no. Ash Wednesday begins Lent. It's the beginning of Lent. Okay, it's okay. I'm 40, I'm 40 days away from it. But you yes. did then, didn't you? Okay. Yes, John is, did. is our rest. <laughs> I, in fact, I believe we were here. Mm-hmm. I believe I remember you had ashes. I think the first time um, I really paid attention to that is my, my roommate, whose name was Celeste Coleman, uh, from Savannah, Georgia, and uh, she came in, and I thought she had a smudge, and I was about mm-hmm. to wipe it off, and <laughs> she had to explain to me what it was, you know, because in the Baptist church, we didn't do that. So, <laughs> Well, I can remember not about to wipe it off, but thinking yeah. what's... But John is the person I go to to answer questions on, on Catholicism, on Catholicism, right? You have to have your expert. That's right? right. And what's so wonderful is many of our traditions about the plants of the Holy Week, or even our our traditions about how we celebrate it, are thanks to the Catholic Church mm-hmm. um, because it's their uh, teachings, their um, you know studies, um, their documentation through. Uh, copying all these ancient manuscripts and these old Bibles mm-hmm. over and over and over and, and passing these along that we that we have these, um, that we can talk about Monday, Thursday or Good Friday. Um, these are all terms that came to us through the church. I want you to go whichever way you want to go because this is really your program tonight. But one of the things that I've learned from you, and I was thinking about it when, when they were um, showing the picture of the the cathedral of Notre Dame de Paris, I think mm. is right, mm. about the the stained glass windows and things. Oh, beautiful. And you, you've taught me that the stained glass windows in, in older churches often were educational devices. They were depictions. Um, they were stories all done beautifully in glass for people who could not read. But there was a tradition that Mary had a Marian blue cloak, um, and that the infant uh, on her lap then would be recognizable as the infant Christ because you, you'd look at this beautiful lady in a stained glass um, window and she'd be wearing the Marian blue cloak or that there would be flowers around her that also um, were related or de- dedicated to the Virgin Mary and then that would be another nod back for these people that that's who she was. And nobody else would be wearing a blue cloak. That's true. And um, so uh, it was oftentimes, you know, easy to say, 
uh, for instance, the the man that you saw in in all white, um, then that would be the risen Christ, for instance, or that the gentleman with Mary in a red cloak would be uh, Joseph, that type mm-hmm. of thing. But the plants were very well known, and many plants have. Uh, names that go back to these these figures as well, because for instance, uh, lady slippers, which is a little uh, wild orchid, a little terrestrial orchid that we have here in the Carolinas, that name comes to us as our ladies slippers because they were yes. thought to look like um, old fashioned shoes, and so that was dedicated the Virgin Mary. Um, Mary's Tears is a is an old uh, plant. There's lots of things that uh, when we think of ladies or, or something like that, then it would have been um, something. Marigold, by the way, the, the flower marigolds. Mm-hmm. Um, it is called that because it is golden in color and it blooms on all the Virgin Mary's feast days. And so this is Mary's gold. Um, cost Mary, which is also a, a balm of sorts. It's, it was used in beer brewing. That was dedicated to the Virgin Mary. Rosemary, Mary's bouquet. Um, of course, a lot of people say, well, again, that also is from the dew of the sea. Uh, Mary, in that case, would be marine. Um, but it was also dedicated to the Virgin Mary. So things that either reminded people of the saints or reminded um, them of a story, a, a biblical story, oftentimes these things would overlap. Uh, we have a, a wildflower called Solomon's Seal, and um, that's what we oftentimes think about with that. So it's it's beautiful that plants we're familiar with were also known, many of these were known and used and are mentioned during the Holy Week. And one of those plants that I'd love to, to mention because we we I don't want to run out of time and not mention this is the um the cross. We mm-hmm. do not know what the wood of the cross was. Biblical scholars agree that um that they are not sure it could have been a cedar of Lebanon, which was mentioned 70 times in the Bible. It was very much a wood that was used before it was completely um, eradicated, <laughs> you know, from the Holy Land. Um, there are some in the in the high mountains, and in, it's the tree that's on the Lebanese flag. But um, that tree was used to build ships by the mm-hmm. conquering uh, countries who came in. Um, the four kinds of, there was a tradition that there were four kinds of wood that came from the four corners of the globe, being palm, cedar, olive, and cypress. Um, but they really don't know what this was. Now, here in the South, we like to think it's our dogwood, you know, and there's this, this wonderful old legend of the dogwood. We used to see postcards. Do you remember those mm-hmm. postcards that it would usually have a white or a pink dogwood on it? And it was talking about that it's a small, weak tree as a result of having been the cross. And so the tree was ashamed and and it would no longer grow big and strong and tall. That the petals would, um, or were like the cross in the shape. Um, there was a crown of thorns in the middle where the true flowers are. The red berries were representative of the blood of Christ. And um, the rusty nails stains were from the stigmata were on each petal, and that um, the pink ones were blushing in shame, you know, for having been a cross. 
And it's a lovely story, but there are no Cornus Florida, which is the scientific name for our dogwood, in Israel or any of the countries around that area in the Mediterranean. You know, I had a thought, though. I'm serious. I've never had this thought before. And I have a dogwood. Yep. Uh, That the story is almost as valuable as— Yes. As the only the only difference between one version of the story and another version is that it 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 is not literally true. It couldn't be literally yeah. true because the. But other than that, everything is is okay. It's a sweet story, and that's that's where we get these legends associated with plants, whether it's the uh, passion flower which is maypop to many of us, um, that was used by Jesuit priests to explain to our indigenous peoples in the Americas um, the story of the, the Passion of Christ because the filaments, the stigma, everything represented um, something to do with their understanding of the story of, of um, the Passion, the pa- you know, the crucifixion. And so that's the reason that that plant is called the passion flower. It's much like St. Patrick holding up the shamrock and explaining to the people in Ireland that the symbol of three being yet one, the trinity, trinity, that concept is is still there uh, with the plants. So we we have oftentimes used plants to explain beautiful stories. They are storytellers and they're reminders (laughs) to us of of, um, some of the, the sweetness that that um, our religion brings to us and to our lives. Um, but at the same time, when we think about the, the true plants that were in that area and know that we know these same plants, that these historical people that we read about were aware of grapes, they tasted wine, they ate figs, um, they were very familiar with oak trees and sycamore trees and mm-hmm. cedar trees and cypress trees, just like we are. That that connection through that living legacy, I think, is is so beautiful. Who is who is it that went up the, the sycamore tree? Zacharias or something? Uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus uh, come out of that I'm, I'm sycamore tree. I'm close tonight, but yeah, not exactly. That's but right. I, there used to be a sycamore tree about two two houses down from me. It's been chopped down now. But uh, it had that bark, stripped that of bark. beautiful strip of bark. Right. And Mike's Aunt Diddy, um, she was a wonderful woman. She was a, a walking saint. And um, <laughs> she told me one day, she said, Pam, you, and she's from South Georgia, and she's so sweet. She said, you know why that tree has peely bark? It's because our Lord called Zacchaeus out of that tree. And when he slipped on that tree, it peeled the bark right down. You know, <laughs> she just, just, you know, and to know that she... Whether she truly believed it or not, it was her connection. It was that story that she could tell and tell other people and, and feel there it. There that tree was, right. There in her. that tree. I have a connection to that. One of my favorite uh, figures, uh, he was a Catholic monk, uh, Thomas Merton. Merton. Uh, mm-hmm. The Seven Story Mountain. Mm-hmm. And he's becoming popular again. People yep. are reading about him and thinking about him. Yep. Uh, there's a, a book written about him. They suggest what kind of person he was, and it's called The Man in the Sycamore Tree. Ah. And because Merton was kind of up in the tree, and he, he, he saw, saw what he needed to see. And he, but he was a monk. He, he, lived, he was a Travis monk, as a mm-hmm. matter of fact. And mm-hmm. those are people who don't talk and, mm-hmm. uh, and pretty much live by themselves. And the longer he lived, the further he got 
uh, out to buy himself. Ultimately, he was killed accidentally, as you may mm. or may not know. Mm-hmm. But he was a big student, by the way, of Buddhism along the way. I didn't mean to interject myself, but we're vamping now. This is what Quessel, you know who I'm talking about, would yeah. have called vamping. Yeah. Because we're close to checking the news. We've, we're going to go from something that happened 2,000 years ago to what may be happening pretty much right now. We're going to check the news uh, from locally and from CBS, and then we'll be back with Pam Beck right after this. The following is a pre-recorded program. 933 at News Radio 680 WPTF. Tom Kearney here on this Wednesday night. I believe it's April the 17th, and in four days, April 21st, it will be Easter. And I always like the idea... I'm going to drift off for a few seconds here of uh, of the uh, sunrise service. And, of mm-hmm. course, there is a quite literal reason that one would want to have a sunrise service in memory of the the original sunrise Truly. service. Truly, yeah. Uh, but uh, I lived in Winston-Salem for five years, and that's one of the places that it really got popularized in North Carolina because the, the Moravians are giving to getting up early and— Playing music. Did you attend that service in I, the no, cemetery? I, no, I never did. I, I spent a lot of time in the cemetery because mm-hmm. uh, when I worked for the tax office in Winston-Salem, I had to inspect Salem. And I just, for people who don't know about that cemetery, oh, if so you, hate, beautiful. you should go because it is, I would sit there and eat my lunch on a little private road every day and just look at it because in the, the Moravian concept, of course, and this is what Salem, Winston swallowed Salem is what mm-hmm. happened. Uh, is that the men are buried in one area, the women are buried in another area, the children are buried in another area, and every headstone is exactly the same size. There's none of this, uh, mine is bigger than yours kind of stuff. (laughs) And there's, but in some ways, um, I love old cemeteries because of the, beauty of the the carved headstones and the symbolism oh. and the and the messages that are on them and um, sometime we need to talk about the symbolism of the of the carving that'd be a fun program to whenever do whenever you're ready yeah. um, one of the nicest places in my hometown is where my mother and father mm. and everybody in my family that I know of rest and it is Willowdale Cemetery wow. and it has a lot of old Graves, 19th century graves, and, and, and what you're talking about. And there's nothing like going to an Irish cemetery where mm-hmm. the Celtic crosses are. Mm-hmm. In fact, Mrs. Kearney and I were mm-hmm. reminiscing about going to the cemetery where William Butler Yeats is buried. Oh it's goodness. a plain country. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's, but he was buried in near Sligo in northern, in north, not northern Ireland, but the north of Ireland. Ireland yeah. Okay, but yeah. uh, no, I like cemeteries. I do too, and and some of the um, some of the ones that are in North Carolina are really exceptional. There's one in Tarboro at the Episcopal Church that is mm-hmm. just um, so lovely, and there was a tradition of having picnics in cemeteries that you would go and visit the dead and and um, spend time there. It was park like and gorgeous and i th- i think this tradition this that you alluded to of having sunrise services in cemeteries is so symbolic because we think about the um the not only the risen christ but you know the hope that all will be risen someday you mm-hmm. know in the in the christian church but looking back at the uh, plants associated with holy week one of the things that we oftentimes will take to a cemetery this time of year is an Easter lily. 
And Easter lilies are those pristine, beautiful white lilies that we oftentimes now see in in pots with foil wrapped around them, and they um, will grace the front of a church, and um, they'll be for sale at all the garden centers. And and please do look for those. Um, But it's the Lilium longifolium. And so this is a lily that originally came to us from Japan. Is the lily of the valley something special? Now, the lily of the valley is a little convalaris. That is a a beautiful little plant. It is the birth month flower for May, um, and it's quite a nice little plant, but not something that normally we would think about associated with Holy Week. But the Easter lily, which we think about traditionally as being white and beautiful and and what we, we put out, Originally, these were grown because they're indigenous to Japan. Now, Japan had the market on these until World War II. I know you love uh, history, Tom. And when World War II erupted, and this this was a very popular um, floriculture crop, then all the growers from California all the way up the coast, the West Coast to Oregon and Washington, started growing these Easter lilies for production, and they're the, where they are still being produced mostly and shipped across the U.S. And um, this is still quite a quite a popular uh, plant to put out. They're very very fragrant. And um, for any of you who are going to bring those into your home, I would like to also remind you that they are very poisonous. Um, so even th- this is just something that's natural to lilies themselves, not day lilies, but the true liliums. And so um, that is something that you, you might know, want to keep away from uh, your animals and children. Uh, okay. I was going to say, I don't want my cat knowing. No, it. you don't want your cat knowing it. And um, sometimes they will do that. But this is a big uh, crop it is only behind poinsettias, mums, and azaleas. It's the fourth most popular floriculture potted plant in the U.S. And I think that speaks a lot of of this week and and the emphasis we put on mm-hmm. decorating for for Easter time. And that's a beautiful plant. The reason I think that we like it so much is it reminds us of what we oftentimes see depicted in art or stained glass that we talked about earlier as being a white lily associated with the Virgin Mary, with the Annunciation. And so sometimes you'll see uh, paintings. We have a very famous one in the North Carolina Museum of Art of the angel in the Annunciation, and there's the white lily in that area. So it lets you know who those people are and, and what that that talking between this beautiful woman in a blue cloak and this angel is all about. Well, you know, one of the great parts of my education is when I learned about art that if you know the symbols, if you know what Mm -hmm. the symbols represent, then you can read the picture. You can read the picture. And that's exactly what this is all about. And that's the reason it's so wonderful when you see old tapestries or um, paintings and you see so many of these flowers depicted if you if you have some knowledge of what they are and there are docents at the Museum of Art who will do lectures too on um, the flowers and the artwork there and, and what some of these mean and and um, how they were depicted. But I digress. I, I need to go back to the plants of Holy Week. Um, one thing I did want to mention is when we think of uh, Jesus and um, the cross, we oftentimes forget about the crown of thorns. And there is an old 
old-fashioned, wonderful euphorbia. It's uh, in the succulent family. It has little teeny tiny uh, flowers that are in clusters on top of it and hot pinks and bright yellows, and that's popularly called crown of thorns. But that plant is not, that is uh, from Madagascar, it is not something that would have been used, even though it has that common name again. But um, in the Holy Land, there are so many Thorny thistles, um, wicked trees like acacia with big thorns on them that um, it would have been easy to find just about anything. We do not really know what the crown of thorns was. It's not something that the biblical scholars can agree upon. Likewise, with the rods that were used um, to um, to thrash Jesus when he was um, being I guess, betrayed and and tried and arrested, Um, he was supposedly stripped and and beaten badly with rods, and we don't know what that was either. There's some lovely legends, again, that it was the weeping willow, and because the willow was used this this way so cruelly that it's hung its head and weeped and been uh, very passive ever since. The same thing, the Swedes have a legend that it was the birches there that was used that way. Um, but we really, really don't know what that was. So there's, again, it's that that beauty of the legend and, and what is or is not true. One thing that I do find interesting that sometimes we skip over because it's only mentioned in one version of the crucifixion in the in the Gospels is that when Jesus was on the cross, that a hyssop was taken and attached to this hyssop was a sponge. And this was dipped in a sour vinegar and put to Christ's lips. And um, after he he uh, had that offered is when he expired. Now, one of the versions says that that sponge was soaked in gall, G-A-L-L. And what that is, biblical scholars agree, is the Hebrew word and the, then translated to the Greek word for that was that may have been the juice of the opium poppy. So it may have been a, an act of mercy on behalf of one of the bystanders there, whether it was a, a guard or whether it was someone else, who took this, and when they say hyssop, it was probably a sorghum cane, by the way. If you've ever seen sorghum growing, you know how, how rigid that, that can mm-hmm. be, that that sponge um, with the vinegar and the opium poppy juice was offered to Jesus, and he refused it. He refused it. And um, so I, when, I, when I read these different versions and I'm looking for the plants as I, as I read the scriptures, I find it interesting that this is mentioned sometimes in, in, in one place and not mm-hmm. in another. Her name is Pam Beck. She is our... Uh Authority. I don't like that word, but she is, <laughs> she is the person who speaks to us about uh, the plants and flowers of uh, and their historical meaning. Uh, she comes and visits uh, around Christmas and uh, Valentine's and, and especially around Easter. I think the very first time you came, it may have been uh, with regard to Easter. It may have been. And this yeah. is her Easter visit. It is. We're just four days away from Easter. We're going to pause now and then we're going to come back and, and have another session as we wrap up the program. It is so informative and so interesting to understand uh, our history and how we got to where we are and how we got to the understandings that we have. And uh, this is an an important season to uh, 
religious people who are Christians and to Jews, uh, Christians, whether they are Western Christians, that is the, the Roman Church or the Eastern Church. I meant to look up when the Eastern Orthodox uh, Easter, sometimes it is roughly parallel to the Western Church and sometimes it isn't, uh, but I did not get to do that tonight. But uh, but I know we have a, uh, we have a large Eastern uh, Orthodox community in Raleigh, and I, I think I told you Father Complanus used to used to come and visit with us. But in any event, it, it's just so interesting to know how the the things that you celebrate and recognize and that are brought before you, in fact, came about. And the person explaining it to us is is Miss Pam Beck. And uh, Pam, where do we go now? Well, I would love to touch on Passover because I think that this is important for us to understand that this very special meal— uh, why it's special, uh, what plants are involved in it. This is a, possibly a good way for us to uh, have a deeper understanding of, of many things um, that tie our religions together. But Passover is the Jewish holiday probably most associated with food. And um, so I love to, to think about the, the plants that are involved in that. Um, the food that we have in modern-day Passover celebrations, of course, would not have always been the original foods that would have been enjoyed, say, 2,000 years ago because um, recipes have changed. Um, there was Middle Eastern uh, and Middle European influences. Um, so it's still uh, based on celebrating a time when the— um, the Hebrew nation that was in Egypt as enslaved peoples were told that they would need to pack up quickly and leave. And so the Passover, the phrase Passover, means that the angel of death would fly over their homes and they would have to leave in the middle of the night when they were able to. So one of the things I did want to mention to, on that is in this case— it's mentioned that there is hyssop. Again, there's that word hyssop. It's not the same hyssop we just talked about with Jesus on the cross, which was a sorghum. But this plant was a marjoram, which was a weed that would grow very well in walls um, all over the city. It would be something that was easy to grab. And that's the plant that was used to apply the blood of the lamb on the lintels of the doorposts so that the angel of death would know to pass over the houses of the of the Hebrew people before they got ready to, to fly out and uh, leave. So Passover relates to that in that the things that are usually used on a traditional Seder plate, and this is a plate that symbolizes um, all of the, the aspects of the Passover and having to leave— one thing is the matzah bread, which is um, represents the haste of flight. It was an unleavened bread. It could not have time to rise, and so it had no yeast in it. And so the matzah is something that um, and there's they didn't have time really to, to deal with it, so it would have to have been pre-cooked and ready to go. Um, there's a roasted egg that's on the plate that is symbolic of eternal life. Uh, uh, the roundness of new life. Um, there's a lamb shank for the Paschal lamb that was um, sacrificed in order to to be able to leave. There's the bitter herbs of slavery. Oftentimes when we think of those, we think of things like um, 
whorehound dandelions endives. Um, some of the bitter lettuces are oftentimes used to represent the bitter herbs. There's a salt water that is that is put in a small bowl on the Seder plate, and that is to represent the tears of slavery, you know, those those um, those really hard times of, of being an enslaved people. And then there's a sweet dish, which is um, a mixture of wine and nuts and fruits, and it's uh, to represent not only the mortar of building, um, but also it represents the sweetness of freedom. And so you've got the, the bitterness of, of slavery, the sweetness of freedom, the tears of slavery, the lamb, and all these things that, that go together to help with that, that quick flight away. And so that very special uh, gathering of family and uh, thinking about freedom and escape, uh, that's exactly what um, Jesus was doing with his, with his disciples the night that um, he was betrayed. You know, I was sitting here thinking about Easter finery. Mm. I, I was trying to bring us back to to our part of the world for Modern just a days. second. <laughs> well, no, no, well, not completely, because you may you may have uh, somewhere else you want to go. But I, I wanted to be honest that I was thinking about what we did, you know, in our world to respect the, some symbolic act. You mm-hmm. know, you and I have talked about what you do on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. You wear a certain color rose. Yes. But what tended to, if you didn't have any new clothes, and we're talking about people at a time when we weren't as rich as we are right. today, when, right. when people, and there still are lots of people who oh, don't have enough. Uh, but uh, but uh, if we got a, a new suit or a new mm-hmm. shirt or a new mm-hmm. pair of pants, it was at this time of year. It was Easter, and I remember as a child those terrible crinoline uh, slips that would under dresses to give them that fluffiness, you know, that everybody was so attracted to, and the little white socks with the ruffles on them and the Mary Janes and all that kind of stuff. Yes, Easter finery was, um, it was a big celebration. And if you think about it, we put so much emphasis on Christmas, but this is actually the most high holy day in Christianity is when Jesus rose. If this doesn't happen, the rest doesn't make any it makes, sense. It makes no difference, makes and, no difference in right? Christianity. And this is the day that, you know, yes, dressing, putting on your finery, ladies in their Easter hats, white gloves, the, the whole bit. You know, this was the big celebration. This is, if you went to church no other time during the year, Easter was the time to go. Well, I mentioned Messiah earlier, and mm-hmm. what it, it's so used at Christmas time. Yes. But what we we may forget, maybe I just am imagining this, but that it, in fact, was written for Easter. The Messiah, the, the music. No, no, you can't yeah, say yeah, the. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, okay, that. just Messiah. I'm trying, be, yeah, Handel's Messiah. I, there I, we go. I yeah. apologize. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, Handel's Messiah was written as, a, as an Easter um, celebration, and it is performed oftentimes at Christmas because right. it, it well, reminds you, you, us. Well, when the, when the Christ child is born, you have the— you somewhere in the back. Sometimes you hear the Hallelujah chorus, mm-hmm. but but as we said, the thing that 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 is worthy of the Hallelujah chorus yes. is is this, is at this end of the drama. Right. Is at this end of the drama, and one of the things I think is the sweetest thing to remember is that um, Jesus's body was taken down by his his family and a few of the disciples, and there was a um, a friend to the family 
who said, I have this tomb that we can use. His body was wrapped by the women with aloes and myrrh and linen cloths. Uh-huh. And there again, these are plants that we still know. We still use aloe when we burn ourselves. Myrrh is mentioned at Christmas time as one of the gifts from the wise men, somewhat foreshadowing this, this use later in death. <coughs> Excuse me. And that when um, the women went back to find Christ um, and he was risen, I love this, that Mary first mistook him as a gardener. She thought he was a gardener in that area where the tombs were. And I love that. Gardens have always been important. They have. Pam, thank you. We've run out of time tonight. I could sit here and listen to this all night. And uh, it's, uh, uh, well, uh, we can go out Sunday morning and see how much of this we can rediscover, I guess. That's true. Pam Beck. Pam Beck Gardens with an S.com. You can find out all about her. If you've been listening to us for a number of years, you know she appears periodically. And I hope we will indeed uh, uh, have her again. There was something you said we should talk about, and I, we're going to have to remember that before we leave tonight. 